All right, how's it going everyone? We're just getting everyone loaded in. Just make sure everyone's videos are good. Now everyone will be muted for the duration of this meeting. Basically how this is gonna work, uh, we have Alex, our nurse practitioner on here, and I'm gonna be going through a list of questions that people submitted to us. Um, and we actually have a, quite a bit, we have 13. When we finish the questions, we're gonna open it up and I'm gonna pick randomly three people to whoever wants to ask Alex a question. At that time, what I'll do is I'll unmute you. You can ask your question and then we'll move on to the next, okay? Um, if everyone's good, go ahead and give thumbs up. If everyone feels like you're ready to start this party. All right. I would like to introduce our nurse practitioner, Alex De Oliveira. She is actually one of our nurses here. She specializes in a lot of things, but today is mostly gonna be about the hormones. Um, so Alex, how do you feel? Do you wanna go ahead and start? Yes, let's go ahead, let's do it. All right, so the first question that was submitted is, what are your thoughts on the pellets versus taking the BHT individually, meaning testosterone, estradiol, and progesterone? All right, so this is a very good question, and it's actually a very common question I get every day in the office. So what happens is, you know, for the past few years, uh, we have had in, uh, in the market, in the medical community, a lot of doctors doing the hormone pellets. And if you don't know what it is, basically it's a little tiny pellet of hormone that they put under your skin and that's supposed to last in your body for four to six months. So Dr. Young and I, back when they first came out with this, we did talk about it, um, if we want to do it or not. And we kind of decided not to do it because one, it was too new. And we kind of like to wait for things to work them, the, their cells out. And, um, and then what happened after that was we start seeing patients that had had the pallets done and um, what they told us was that they start having symptoms because what happens is that pellet is supposed to last, like I said, for four to six months. So if for whatever reason it releases in your system too much, too fast, then you can have a lot of side effects. And, and then people wanted to get that out and you can't get it out. Once it's in your system, uh, it's under the skin and you have to just you know, power through the symptoms. So let's say if they give you testosterone, uh, testosterone for, for women can be great, but it can also, you know, have side effects. It can make you very angry. It can make, you know, can affect your mood in a bad way. So um, for us, we decide not to do that. And we rather do as a topical cream or maybe oral bioidentical progesterone because that way the patient has the power to 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 dose themselves sometimes because it's a very touchy complicated thing hormones are so it's it's very nice people like to have control of how much they should do so so we would we rather use the topical clickers um and you have to kind of know how to use that so i'm not saying that the testosterone pellets or the pellets don't work they do work but it's not for everyone and even if i have a patient that um, right now, they, they want to do the pellets. Um, my advice is always, you know, try to do the topical cream first and see how you feel. And if that's a good thing and you feel like you're okay, it's great, but I need more, then I think that then you can go ahead and do the pellets. But for us, we decide not to do that. That's great because, yeah, we actually get asked that a lot. 
Um, right, yeah, yeah. One, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot. Um, the next one we got was, I've noticed with menopause, my skin on my face is sagging. Do you have any thoughts or reason for this? Yeah, that, that's the thing about menopause, right? So once we am, and menopause is 12 months without a period. However, though, it takes about 10 years to even get into the menopause. It, perimenopause, it starts 10 years prior to the last period. So what's happening is your hormone levels start to drop, drop, drop. And then you do start noticing some changes in the skin. It's just that when menopause hits, then you definitely notice that big difference. And the reason for that is because of the lack of estrogen. And estrogen has to do with collagen, which it holds your skin, put everything in place. So if you have very low levels of estrogen postmenopause, which all of us do, uh, the sagging skin is part of that. That's the reason for that. And uh, a lot of women actually, uh, they do want to do, um, one of the reasons why they want to do bioidentical hormones is really because of the, the skin health. But that's the lack of estrogen. That's the reason. Gotcha. Um, the next one we have is why do I get so hungry the day before my period? and first two days of my period. I want carbohydrates and lots of them. Is there a way to make these cravings not so strong? I know, this is so common. It's absolutely, it is normal, it is common. Okay, so the way you have to think about this, you have a 28 day cycle. So after ovulation, your body is getting ready to get pregnant, basically, you release an egg, and you make tons of progesterone and your body's waiting to get pregnant. For that reason, your body wants food. It wants to eat because it needs to form a baby. So here comes the, the, the hunger um, and the cravings. So usually, and, and that's the difference between men and women, uh, we do need our carbs, especially like the good carbs, of course, I'm talking like your vegetables, your sweet potatoes, things like that. But we do need those carbs because that's what helps your progesterone. That's what helps your, your body to, to, you know, to function uh, as it's supposed to, low progesterone, ovulation, high progesterone. But what happens right before your period, though, um, sometimes a week before your period or two, two days before your period, all your hormones drop all the hormones drop. So when that happens, then your brain gets like, oh, what's going on? So you get brain fatigue um, and the brain knows that it needs energy to work and it knows how to get energy. And it knows that carbohydrates are the easiest way to get energy. So if you eat a lot of rice, it's very easy to digest. It can become glucose right away in the system and your brain loves that. So it is a normal thing, but in order to avoid that, the best way to do it, one is to be aware of that, that you know that post ovulation, sometimes you have those cravings, you, you eat more or more carbs. And also to make sure you have uh, balanced blood sugar with protein. So if you have been eating enough protein throughout the month, usually those cravings are not so bad when it hits you. Uh, because it also has to do with your blood sugar levels. So if you already have insulin resistant and a problem with your blood sugar right before your period, it's going to be a combination of insulin resistance and low hormones, and it's not going to feel good. 
So you have to balance the diet with enough protein throughout the month so that doesn't hit you right away. That's tough. I know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next one I have here, let's see here. My hot flashes have really ramped up in the last two weeks. And despite the progesterone cream prescribed by you, I am miserable at night. What can I do to lessen or eliminate the hot flashes? Or are they something I just have to go through? I am 51. That's a great question. That's a fantastic. So here's what happens. It's so tricky um, to treat women during this time um, in their 50s because sometimes, let's say, you know, you have a period um, and then all of a sudden you go three months without a period and then bam, you have one. So what I'm talking about is hormone fluctuation. So you don't have a period for three months, all of a sudden you have one. What that means is that your estrogen all of a sudden shows up in its own line. So when I'm giving you progesterone, I'm usually going by the last set of blood work that we just did, because there's a transition where you go from a little low progesterone is still high estrogen. And then once you're done with that, you just have low estrogen period. So that's why we have to redo the test to see if the progesterone got to a point where it knocked out your estrogen too much and now you have hot flashes, you see. That's why usually what I try to do um, during that critical time, you know, maybe every three months, you know, it's a way to kind of trying to figure out. And that's another reason I like to teach this because um, we as women, we have to have the power to understand and control the situation. So let's say in this case scenario, I'm 51 and I've been using the progesterone and now I have hot flashes. So what I have to think is, okay, so the progesterone knocks down estrogen every time if it's too much. So that's probably what I'm doing. That's why we call hormone balance because we're trying to balance everything. So if you do too much of one thing, you knock the other one down. So if you know that, then you're like, okay, so let me call Alex and tell her what's going on. Or you can just go ahead and decrease the dose of your progesterone and in a few days, see how your hot flashes go. Because during that time, until you are 12 months without a period whatsoever, it's very critical to know, um, for you to notice um, what happens to your body when you have estrogen and when you don't. So low estrogen is always hot flashes. So basically, you kind of have to be in tune and kind of let me know so we can kind of go over that too. Beautiful. Um, with the virus, my activity level is down. Should I adjust my hormones? Interesting question. Interesting question. Because um, I tell women all the time that our hormones are very sensitive to stress and activity. So if I have a patient um, that is a runner um, and they run many, many miles, uh, that can be a little tricky because usually, and you guys probably have heard of this before, some athletes, uh, female athletes, sometimes they don't even get a period. Uh, and the reason for that is because they just run low on hormones because they just they have so much activity that their hormone levels go so low, they can't keep up. What they eat is just not enough to produce hormones. So when the activity level goes down, you might have to adjust the hormones. You might be using too much. So there, there is a possibility of that happening. 
However, I want to say when I say that, it's not just physical activity, but it's also mental activity. So if you have a lot of mental stress, you probably still need to be on the same uh, dose of hormone. But if you just go on vacation and you just retired and you just don't have anything to worry about and everything's great, you actually might not even need any hormones whatsoever. So it really, when we talk about um, hormone replacement, uh, it's really about quality of life. Um, and also, of course, many other, some people with uh, serious symptoms of um, other things, we can treat that with that too. But to be aware that the mental stress and the physical stress will lower your hormones. So if you have lower your activity physically, but you still have a lot of stress mentally, you should stay on the same dose. Okay. Let's see here. I am considering using CBD oil topically for pain and inflammation. What should I know about interaction with hormones? Okay, CBD oil, um, if, you, if you use topically, there's no, absolutely no interaction with any of the hormones, your natural hormones or your uh, bioidentical hormones, none. If you do though, um, uh, oral CBD, sublingual um, oils, CBD, for some people, it does improve progesterone. So there's some, I think there's like one paper out there it talks about CBD improving progesterone levels for young women uh, when you still have your period. So, but there's no bad interaction at all. Okay. Um, next question we have is, what is the latest information on bioidentical hormones topically versus orally versus injected? Okay, so, so we always refer back to, so the, the main thing is this, the latest information is the French cohort study. So we have two studies. We have the American study and we have the French study. Um, the, the French study uh, is the one that's many women and that's the one that we refer back to because that's the one that uses bioidentical hormones. Basically that uses um, wild yams. Uh, in the French cohort study, what they noticed was that women that did nothing postmenopause, in comparison to women that did bioidentical hormones, did worse. So if you do nothing, quality of life is always worse by not doing anything. Meaning, um, because hormones have to do with uh, blood pressure, with bone density, with memory, dementia. Uh, and they noticed that women that did bioidentical hormones, they have better quality of life and less, a lot less of the chronic illnesses. Um, that, so that's the latest on the bioidentical hormones. And it's probably one of the only big studies that we actually have on bioidentical hormones. Uh, on the American side of things, uh, we do have the birth control, the oral estrogen, the injectables. Um, so for that study, that was the Women's Health Initiative study, it was a huge study. Uh, I think the results, I don't remember, but back in the 80s, uh, they were studying this. And you, some of you guys probably remember they came out on the news how estrogen was bad for you. Everyone should be off of estrogen. Your gynecologist was taking you off of estrogen. It was giving women heart attacks and blood clots. And it was a whole thing. They stopped the study was not good. So what that study showed to us, and even going back and referring back to that study, what we noticed was 
um, one, they gave women oral estrogen. And now we know that oral estrogen, when you take it orally as a pill, it has to go through your liver, has a lot of metabolites. And those metabolites are the problem. The metabolites can cause um, uh, anxiety, it can cause blood clots, mainly blood clots. So it's a problem with that. So we don't like to use that, although it is out there. Uh, it is part of the guidelines. It can't be used. I, I don't like to use it, but yes. And um, the other problem was that in the American study, they used synthetic progesterone, which is medroxyprogesterone. Medroxyprogesterone has a very amount of problem with circulation, bad for your heart. It, it, it ha it's very tricky. You can only use that for a small amount of time. So yeah, so I don't normally recommend that. Okay. Um, the ninth question we have is hormone imbalance, no sex drive. What can I take if unable to take testosterone as per OBGYN? Okay. So I absolutely love this question because when it comes to sex drive for women, I feel that there's a misconception about testosterone. Um, women need more testosterone, and that's why we have low sex drive. It's not necessarily how it works. Um, so if the, the OBGYN said, don't take testosterone, there's probably a reason why. Maybe uh, your levels were already high, something is going on. But I always say this, um, maybe testosterone is something that will help you with sex drive. I don't see that very much in the practice unless you do the hormone pellets because the dose is so much high and your levels can get that high, then I do see that. But when you do at, um, you know, as a topical cream because your blood levels don't go through the roof so high, so I really don't see that. But what women have to understand too is when it comes to sex drive, it has a lot to do with estrogen than necessarily than testosterone. Because um, estrogen, it's actually the one that makes nitric oxide, which makes everything circulate and, and get you excited. So for us women, uh, we kind of have to really, we need the estrogen and we need to know to balance that. But I think that's a great question. One, because there's such a misconception about estrogen for women. And two, um, I see a lot of patients, a lot of female patients that come to me with very high testosterone levels and still with no sex drive. And I, I, I think that's, that's because in, in, in the medical community, we have such a, a male-driven um, uh, medical, you know, mentality that we feel we always attach testosterone to sex drive. And of course, you know, there's all the other causes, the psychological reasons, you know, there's, we're very sensitive flowers <laughs> for women. It's a little bit more complicated than just testosterone. Beautiful. If we lack estrogen at age 65, how does that affect our mood? What hormones does one need at 65 or 70? Okay, so that's a good question because uh, the Women's Health Initiative study, actually they start giving women oral estrogen and oral progesterone at age of 65. And for them did not go well, like I said, because that was uh, synthetic estrogen. So that was not good. However, uh, what we do find is that two thirds of all dementia patients in this country are women. 
So um, we're very concerned about that. And that one of the reasons for that is the lack of estrogen in the brain. So we do, even though I actually have patients, started patients on bioidentical hormones, even in the late 70s, only because I see a lot of brain, brain fog, um, you know, memory problems, you know, and that concerns me. And I know that on top of doing all the other things that we do, I know that estrogen, it is an antioxidant for the female brain. So that's super important. You could still do estrogen at 65, but um, I always do that in a different way than I would do for a 50-year-old. So because at age of 65, depending on uh, how long ago you went through menopause, a lot of the receptor cells for estrogen, they're at sleep. So I need to wake them up. So I have to do that in a very gentle way so you don't have side effects, but it can be done. Okay. And this one, this one is a multi-part uh, question. Uh, what role does the parathyroid play in the hormone industry? What reading and what blood test needs to determine the parathyroid has to be removed? What does this high reading of the parathyroid affect? Insulin controlled, adrenaline controlled? Okay. So... Okay, so that doesn't really have anything to do with estrogen, but that's a very important question. So the parathyroid hormone, it's a hormone that's produced by the little glands behind your thyroid gland, okay? So the parathyroid hormone sometimes will show up elevated. If you look at your blood levels, it's gonna show high. If that happens, it could be for two reasons. It could be Either you have low vitamin D levels or you have malabsorption, meaning you're not absorbing your calcium in your intestinal tract. So you can see that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have elevated uh, parathyroid hormones in your blood test. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing that you need surgery. So what it, what it does mean is that you need to test your vitamin D levels. Those have to be optimal because one regulates the other. And we have to know if you are a patient that has um, Crohn's disease, celiac disease, um, uh, gastritis, chronic kidney disease, if there's other chronic conditions going along with that, that would explain why your parathyroid hormone is elevated. So it's parathyroid hormone regulates calcium in and out of the bones. So doctors know this and sometimes they get a little nervous. They, they just go ahead and they want to do surgery. But I would say one, test your vitamin D. Um, and maybe we need to assess how much calcium you're taking. Because if you, if you are eating things that have no calcium whatsoever, your parathyroid levels will go up. Because that's what the parathyroid does. The parathyroid wants to regulate calcium. So it wants to have enough calcium in the body to build bone. So um, it has to do with diet and um, it has to do with vitamin D. Okay, let's see here. What causes a larger belly in older women and how can hormones reduce this? Okay, so that's another problem that we have to go through as women. So, so as we get into menopause or close to menopause, we become more insulin resistant is just uh, so as the hormones go away progesterone stops estrogen stops testosterone goes down we become more insulin resistant what does that mean 
That means that the same things that you're eating when you're 25, you cannot eat at 55 because your hormones are very low or they're not there at all. So what happens is because of that lack of hormones and because a lot of times you never really change your diet, so your insulin hormone levels keep going up and up and up and then it holds on the fat all around the, the waist area. So you have the belly um, you know, fat around there and none of us like that. So that's why once you start entering that time, you kind of have to get ready. And I try to tell my ladies, you know, even though you're not in menopause yet, but if you are 45, if you're 46, like I am, you know, I'm getting ready, meaning I have to adjust my diet. I can't eat like I ate when I was 20, you know? So there's changes that needs, but that's the reason you become more insulin resistant. Beautiful. Um, so we're going on question 13, which is the last one that was submitted. So before I ask this question, what I'm going to ask people to do is I already had someone submit in the chat a question. So if anyone wants to, I'm going to select a few questions after this next one. If you want to send me a private message or a question, we'll go ahead and accept it. And then I'll see if there's anyone that actually wants to vocalize your question. Um, but this one I have here says, I read an article about the connection between anxiety, depression, and perimenopause slash menopause. Granted, I do have situational stressors. What can Young Foundational Health do for mental health? Screening? Medication? I need to address this and stop ignoring it. It's affecting my family and personal well-being. Yeah, listen, this is a super common thing. It's happening everywhere. It's not just with you. It's just, it's, it's an epidemic. So here's what, what we do. We look at you as a whole. Hormones are part of the process, but it's not everything. So yes, it sometimes it just hits you as soon as menopause comes in or you miss a period. And I do have those patients that they wake up and they're like, I don't know what happened to me, Alex, but for the past three months, I'm just super anxious, I'm super depressed, but I hadn't had my periods in three months. So yes, there is a correlation between low levels of progesterone, low levels of estrogen, and all the mood, things can kinda get worse, yes. But it's not just that. So we have to look at you, at, like do you have insulin resistance? Do you have um, uh, B12 deficiencies or whatever kind of deficiency? So your brain, you know, one way to understand this is like your brain is a lot of fat. It's, it's this thing of flat fat, right? So all the fat soluble vitamins, the vitamin D, the vitamin A, that's why diet is so important. Um, and remember the steroid hormones, the testosterone, the estrogen, the progesterone, they're all made out of fat. They're also steroids. So, so with this, um, with this change in life, you know, coming menopause, your hormones start to go low, and then like maybe you're trying to lose weight, and maybe you're trying to do low fat, and it just makes things worse. So, all of that has to be assessed. We have to look at your diet. We have to look at your levels. Uh, there's many things that can be done. I've seen patients having depression only for the only reason that they have low suboptimal vitamin D3 levels, so. Thank you. Um, I'm getting actually quite a few questions in the chat, so thank you guys. Um, one question I have is, what if I went through menopause 10 years ago and just started on bioidenticals because I had no estrogen or progesterone? 
will I have early dementia? Um, or because I'm starting now, am I okay? Currently 50. Okay. So it's always good to start early, as early as you can. Um, but also you have to think, one, if you have a family history of dementia, because there's a lot to do with that too. And uh, number two, how are you, what's your state of mind right now? If you keep forgetting things and, you know, forgetting things like here and there, it's also could be overload of the information. You just like so busy and it's normal. But when you actually start having a problem with names and, you, and, your, and your speech and, and that could be a problem. But if you start early, that's the best. That's the best case scenario. How long can you stay on bioidentical hormones? Great question. Great question. I love that. So, you know, it really, you can stay on them forever if you're willing to get tested, because that's the thing. Like I said, hormones are very sensitive. They can change over, you know, many years if you've been using them for many years. So um, I like to have my patients tested at least once a year to make sure there's no like major change that I'm going to do adjustments. But most people, they like to stay on them as long as they can. So I let, I let people just do, if you want to, you're 80 and you still want to do your hormones, as long as I'm looking at your levels and I feel like everything's fine, I'm good with it. Um, but the most common scenario, um, women get into the hormone replacement therapy in the beginning because they're like 40, 50, and they still... Um, have to work and they have all these things to do so they need the energy they need the brain power and they do that for a while and then they come to me and they say you know Alex you know I I just retired you know my kids are no longer in the house with me I'm just relaxing with my husband I don't think I need this anymore I'm like okay sure so then you don't have to do it forever you can stop it anytime you want beautiful what side effects can you experience if the hormones are correctly balanced? Uh, well, yeah, that's a good question too. A lot, actually. So if you, um, you can have anxiety, if you're given too much estrogen, you can have um, swelling, uh, if you have too much estrogen, swelling of the legs, you can have abdominal bloating also. Abdominal bloating, if, if your estrogen is too high and you're given estrogen, over age of 65 because estrogen is also broken down in the gut so you know after a certain age things kind of get slower so if you are given too much testosterone you know you can have um, uh, hair loss you can have acne even if you have too much progesterone which I love progesterone progesterone is the relaxation hormone is the hormone that gets you to sleep that's the hormone that gets to be calm but if you have too much of that, you can also have, you can be too sluggish, you can be too tired, you can even be bloated. So it, it's really a balance. Yes, there's side effects of all of this. There's side effects from drinking too much water. Awesome. This is amazing. Actually, the, the chat is literally blown up uh, between what everyone can see and privately. Um, so I'm going to accept one more question. And then what I'm going to do is if anyone has any additional questions, go ahead and grab a pen because when we finish with this one, I'm going to give you an email to send your questions to so we can make sure that any question that you guys have get answered. Um, so this last one I have here says, I'm a cancer survivor, and because I had surgery for endometriosis, 
I stopped my menstruation since I'm 37 years old. So I never take any kind of treatment for progesterone or estrogen. Is there something I could take uh, to get a balance? Ooh, that's a tough one because you're young, 37, right? Mm, correct. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. Was it uh, endometrial cancer? Uh, let me say. Yeah. Yes. Okay. No. No. But yes or no. <sighs> no. No, it was not. Okay. Okay. So I actually have a patient um, that she had a history. It was thyroid cancer. Sorry to interrupt you. Thyroid cancer. Okay. So I do actually have a patient that had a hysterectomy when she was 35. And what happened with her was because she never had any hormone replacement, by the time she was 40, she was having a lot of um, um, the DEXA scan that they did, they, they did for her. It was showing osteopenia, which is then osteoporosis and then bone fractures, and it's kind of risky. So she, was, she went through like really young. So I always say, if something like that happens when you're so young, you do need to have some sort of estrogen replacement, progesterone replacement, because you still need to maintain your heart, your bones, your brain. Like these hormones are like, you know, you have the idea that estrogen makes things grow. So it, it gets the replacement. That's why the skin gets different because you replace your skin every day. So if you have low estrogen, you're going to have the sagging skin. So it's so important. If, if you're so young, I would highly advise to, to have some doctor look at this, do some blood work, see what your levels are, even if you start little, but something. Perfect. So if you all have a pen ready, any additional questions, I do, uh, hopefully we're going to see if we can save the chat, all the questions that are remaining to make sure that we get to you guys individually to let you know the answers to your questions. If you have additional questions, here's the email. Her name is Maria. So it's her first name, Maria, M-A-R-I-A, followed by P is in Paul, F is in Frank, H is in Henry, and C is in Charles at gmail.com. So that's Maria P F H C at gmail.com. So go ahead and address any questions to, to Maria. She will actually get with Alex and we'll make sure to get every single question taken care of. Um, I believe we're going to set something up Alex in six weeks or so for the next uh, zoom. And it's going to be you and Dr. Young. It's from right here. Yes. Yes. Dr. Young and I will be sitting here and be answering whatever questions you guys have. Just, just, Tell us what you want to know, and we'll just answer. So a complete open forum. So completely open, yep. Awesome. All right. So we appreciate everyone tuning in. And Alex, thank you for doing this with us. You're very, very welcome. I'll see you.